Uh, today is a special day. It's a special day in a lot of ways, particularly for me and for my family. Uh, but the most profound reason that today is a special day is singular. For we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ to worship him. Amen? That, that's the specialness of today. That's the primary reason that today is a special day. Uh, and it makes it incredibly special. And while today is special for some other reasons, many other reasons in my mind, um, let us focus on that reason as we look to the word today. Amen? Amen. Uh, and here is my simple message for today. If you're going to be awake for another five seconds, you're going to get it all. Give it up. That's my message. Give it up. That's my message. If you have your Bibles today, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 20. When asked to preach, I often turn to the lectionary to kind of find my texts um, and uh, just to find guidance, and, and so I'm not kind of biased in my, in my selection of, of the verses that I choose. Um, but today, I, I have to confess, I didn't do that. I, I wanted to preach this text. But for a giggle, I turned to the lectionary te- text, um, and it's a, <laughs> it's a warning from the book of Luke, where the disciples are admiring the temple, uh, and, and Jesus says, ah, this is all going to come crashing down. Don't, you know, don't get too wowed by this. And then he goes, the nation will, go, will turn against nation. There's going to be earthquakes and famines and pestilences, persecution and prison. Don't worry about how you're going to defend yourselves. You're going to be betrayed. You're going to be betrayed by parents, by siblings, by friends, by relatives. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. Now, don't you wish I would have picked that lectionary text? No. Oh, okay. Well, you're not in charge, so I, I chose this other text from Matthew chapter 16. Um, and we're going to start at verse 20, but before we do, um, earlier in this narrative, it's always helpful for me to kind of check in with what's going on in the text. Before, this, before what we're going to, re- to read, the, the, the religious leaders had come to Jesus and demanded a sign. Show us. Show us a sign that you are who you say you are. Um, and Jesus didn't take too kindly to that. Um, and, and Jesus warns the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And much like me, when the word yeast or anything related to food comes up, I think, oh, food. <laughs> uh, are we talking about food? And then they, they kick themselves for forgetting bread. And Jesus says, I'm not talking about the bread. I'm talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, and, and in quick turn, uh, a quick turnaround, Simon Peter declares that Jesus is the coming Christ. Jesus says, well, well, who are people saying that I am? They offer some answers. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah of God. Uh, and he has declared the rock upon which the church will be built and given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And that's where we're going to pick up at verse 20. Matthew chapter 16, verse 20. If you're able and as you're comfortable, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Verse 20, we're going to read through verse 26. I'm reading this morning from the um, Common English Bible um, today. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. Okay, Peter just said you're the Christ, the Messiah of God. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. 
Um, verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and legal experts, and that he had to be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took hold of Jesus, scolding him, beginning, began to correct him. God forbid, Lord, this won't, this won't happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stone that could make me stumble, for you are not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. And Jesus said to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today that we would live with this text, that we would pour our lives over it and allow it to shape us in all we say and do. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We say thanks be to God. You may be seated. We live in a news-pronouncing world. Everybody's got the thing to share, right? They've got the news to share. Um, Social media doesn't help this, by the way. It reinforces this. Maybe it does help it. That's what I should say. Um, Social media is, is the the purveyor of lots of the news that we hear. My sister this past week said this, we're expecting, this is in all caps, we're expecting, I know, I know it's crazy, isn't it? I can't believe myself. I was not going to put this on here, but I wanted to make it official. I mean, who would have guessed that we're expecting? Yep, it's official. We are expecting Christmas in just over six weeks. (laughs) That's last week, so it's only five weeks. Just a warning in case you're counting on your six weeks. But you hear that news, we're expecting, we're like, whoa, that's, that's great. And you tune in, right? Your attention is just peaked a little bit more. Shoot, even this week on Wednesday, what did I do? I made an announcement about today and this being my last chance to preach at Centralia uh, and the celebration to follow. And I'm, I'm grateful for the chance to, to celebrate what God has done with us. Um, you watch the TV, we have headline tickers at the bottom of the screen. Do you know they used to not have those? They used to not, they used to like actually think you wanted your attention on what was on the TV, but now they offer options. Um, Headline tickers, scores from around the league, um, advertisements. My wife watches the Hallmark Channel a lot this time of year, and they're they're advertising every other movie that they got going on. What they got the, well, you know what's going to happen in the one that's going, so. We have pop-up notifications on our phones. We have news reports that cut in. We're all about the news. In our text today, Jesus is the opposite. Jesus is the opposite. Jesus Jesus pulls out of the disciples this incredible news, this incredible profession. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the one that was to come. And Jesus says, keep it down. Don't you tell a single soul. Um, No one's supposed to know I'm the Christ, the coming Messiah. Peter had figured it out and just blurted it out for everyone to hear. But he says, you keep it quiet. This is so like Jesus. This is so like Jesus to run counter from what we expect from our normal habits, from the way that we always do it. It's just 
like Jesus. I've, I've been convinced for a long time now, I've talked about it several times, that I believe that the kingdom of God operates on its own kingdom economy. It's an economy that doesn't make sense in the world today. It doesn't, it doesn't even out. The ledger doesn't match up. Um, and the text today is no different. Kingdom life looks different. Our life shared together looks different. Uh, and, and the narrative of the gospel takes a shift here. If you look at the, that, that, that line that he says, don't tell anybody, and then it says, it kind of has these introductory words. From that time on, from this time forward, Jesus began to show his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem. There's a shift, a transition in what we hear. Peter reveals that Jesus is a big deal, and, and yet that comes with all sorts of baggage. Being that big deal, being that Messiah of Christ laid out a whole set of expectations for the world and for the disciples of what would happen. There's all sorts of good things that come with Messiah. The Jews thought there were all sorts of good things that come with Messiah. The good old days of King David were about to return. The Romans would get what they had coming, right? They'd get their nation back. We'd be back on top again. We'd live how we'd want to live. And the disciples get to this point. Peter has this confession. Jesus doesn't say, no, that's wrong. Jesus says, no, don't tell anybody. <laughs> so it must be true. He's not correcting them. And that had to be an incredible moment. But Jesus begins to unpack all of those expectations of what Messiah would be of what Messiah would do, of what faith would look like on the far side. I'm pretty sure God still does that for us today. I think sometimes we come to God to, or follow Jesus with these expectations that, that Jesus is going to fix things, that Jesus will, will bring back something that was lost, that Jesus is going to, to make life better. And I think all those things are true, I don't think that's a, a poor expectation to have. The problem I find is that I often think the things that Jesus is going to do look a whole lot like the things I want. <laughs> that's a good sentence. I need to hear that. The problem I find is that often find is that I often think the things that Jesus is going to bring look a whole lot like the things that I want. And I get convicted. Who am I? Who am I? I'm convicted. How, how can I know those things? But I'm also reminded that the things that Jesus brings are, are not external. They're internal. Jesus brings about things that are not circumstantial in our lives, but they're foundational to our lives. That he changes the inside first. Jesus invites us to the hard work of the interior journey and sometimes doesn't fix the circumstances. And sometimes those things don't work out. Even for the disciples, this was... This was hard news. I mean, I, I, I get it. I know I, Jesus had to take time with his own disciples to say, let's talk about Messiah. Let's talk about what this means. Let's, let's unpack this. We've got to slow down. And he talked about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was like the hotbed of people that were angry at Jesus. 
<laughs> That's where you find all those religious folks who kept challenging him, who just had demanded for a sign, who always were asking him questions, trying to trap him. Read through the gospel message. Pharisees show up, and most of them, there's a couple of, there's a couple of exceptions, most of them are quizzing him. Most of them are asking questions to try to trip him up. The elders, the chief priests, the legal experts were going to take him to task. And this was his journey to Jerusalem that was his final earthly journey before crucifixion in the gospel of Matthew. At least Peter had the good sense to wake him up, right? Poor Peter. We pick on him a little bit. Jesus, this is not what messiahs do. This isn't what messiahs do. This isn't how we roll. I mean, just put the pieces together. We're, we signed up for Team Messiah. Okay? We, had, we, we, we knew what Team Messiah was going to look like, and that's, that's what we, we signed up. You didn't deny it. You, we were on board. Let's go do Messiah things, Jesus. Let's do Messiah things. Let's gather our squado. <laughs> let's, let's keep rolling around the countryside. Let's keep getting folks on our sides. You keep healing stuff. We'll feed people with our five loaves and two fishes. People will be happy. They'll follow us. Then we can march into Jerusalem, blow the trumpets, and call down fire from heaven. Remember Elijah? Remember the prophets of Baal? Let's try that. That sounds like fun Team Messiah stuff. Let's do that, Jesus. Four short verses after Jesus had pronounced that Peter gets the keys to heaven, what does he say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. The adversary, the one that would work against Christ, Peter calls him by that name and says, you're, you're, a, you're a stone that I could stumble on. To me, this is one of the most human glimpses we get of Jesus. He knew. He knew he was fallible. He knew that that was tempting. He knew that their expectations of messiahship sounded pretty good. From the keeper of the keys of heaven to a representative of the adversary, I think this was tough for Jesus. Tough to see his friend take on this role. Uh, and Peter was creating for him a, a real problem that had to be called out, that had to be said, this isn't the journey. This isn't the path of Messiahship. I know, I'm sure he was tender to some degree. I mean, get behind me, Satan, isn't that tender? <laughs> but I believe his heart of love for these people that had walked with him for years allowed him to just gently change, change their minds, to work to change their minds. I mean, they didn't totally get it. Peter was the guy that cut off the guy's ear in the garden, right? Um, still hadn't sunk in. And then I think about that scene on the beach where Jesus tells Peter, go feed my lambs. And he's restored. We roll down into this final section of the text today and Jesus just lays it out. Would you follow Jesus? Would you follow? Is that what you want? Do you really want to follow Jesus? He asks us today, do you really want to follow Jesus? There's a song we sing. I, I like to lead it. It's, it's a favorite of mine. Uh, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. Whom you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, 
I will follow you. Oh man, that's just such sweet lyrics, right? I mean, it's, so, it's just rich. It, it represents what I want. It's easy to sing. There's a nice little melody line to it. Harmonies are great. Feels good to say. It feels devout. Feels like, yes, this is, this is my calling. This is, this is what I want in my spiritual life to follow you. But Jesus, do you want to follow me? He adds some color to what that means. He adds, he adds a bigger price tag than just singing the, the pretty song. Would you follow me? He says, say no to yourself. Say no to yourself. This, is, this, is a, this, is, this can be a tricky one. This isn't throwing yourself away. This isn't self-abasement. But, but, but it is laying down our natural bent to me, me, me. It means saying no as the Savior. And it means saying no as the martyr. So elusive because it, it, it's different responses at different times. It has to do with our personality. It has to do with what, what, what we tend to do. Sometimes it means self-care. Sometimes it means inconvenient change of plans to care for another. To me, it has always meant the priorities of Christ win out over the priorities of me. That you say no to yourselves. Second thing Jesus says, take up their cross. The power of this imagery is a little bit lost on us. Okay, uh, Crosses are... Fairly familiar in our culture today and in our context. We have three right here. Um, and uh, there's big ones and small ones and shiny ones and ones that people wear on their, uh, uh, as jewelry. There's ones that are, we have one on display in our home, over our door. But the cross today is, is too polished and too clean the cross in this time period, the, the, the commentator I read estimated that this book was probably written about 80 or 90 A.D. The cross at this time period was an instrument of death. An instrument of death. It, it sounds a little different when we say take up your electric chair, take up your lethal injection, take up your gallows and follow me. Um, but even early on in this in this culture, the, the picture of the cross uh, is, is tough to bear. It's just a little shocking that Jesus would say this. But the, the cross began to represent and to symbolize the sacrifice that Jesus made. That Jesus would go to the cross. To follow Jesus will not be convenient, will not allow you to do what, what you want to do all the time. It's no longer an instrument of death, but representative of the image of sacrifice, which is meant to be a model for us. So we have, say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. To follow me, to live like Christ. This is why study of Scripture becomes so important. We don't actually mimic Jesus. Jesus was a first century Jew, and some of the things he did would look really odd in Centralia, Lewis County, in the, the year of 2019. We don't, we don't copy what he did. Some things we can copy. But more than that, we learn the heart of God. 
Jesus Christ as a member of the Trinity, one who is in communion with the Father and with the Spirit at all times. We learn the heart of God in these pages, the pages of this book, and we ask the question, what would God have for us today? What would God have for us now? This is how we begin to discern through the Holy Spirit how God would have us live and what it means to follow God today. This is following Christ to live as Christ would live. And then we come to these words that Jesus says, all who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Uh, From the New Living Translation, it says this. It says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you try to hold on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give your life up for my sake, you will save it. I see so many people trying to hold on to life. What does holding on to life look look like? It looks like holding on to security. It looks like holding on to safety. It looks like holding on to our rights, holding on to what they deserve, holding on to the dream coming true. (laughs) And I have to be honest, I see it a lot because I see it in me that that's my natural bent, that that's my natural angle, that that's what I have to work against in my life, that it becomes so easy to hold on. I can hold on to what's comfortable. I can hold on to what's familiar. I like safety and security. (laughs) It's a pretty nice gig. I like money in the bank. It's helpful. Sometimes I want to clutch so tightly to my kids, not let them go through what they have to go through in order to grow up. It's so important for them, and it's so tough. Like grabbing a fistful of sand at the beach, we clutch as tightly as we can, and the handful of sand slips back to the beach where it belongs. We open our hands, and there's not much left. This obsession to hold on is disheartening, it's disconcerting, it's dishealthful, and it brings dis-ease. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. It's going to slip through your fingers. But if you give it up for my sake, you will find it. What do you hold on to? Can't answer that question for you. That's part of the interior work that you have to do. I can't prescribe that for you. I can't, I can't tell you that's the work you have to do between Sundays to find out and to figure out. I can't, I can't tell you that's where we have to, to spend time in the Word. I'll tell you this, it's tricky. It's deceptive. It can look like pride and it can look like humility. It can look like needing to control and it can look like giving up on doing anything. It's elusive. And it can appear in so many different ways. 
But what are you holding on to? What are you clutching to today? Oh, that we would give up our lives for Jesus' sake to live open lives, to live open and generous lives for the kingdom, to give up your life for Jesus' sake. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful. This isn't, this isn't completely giving yourself away to, to an unhealthy degree. It isn't letting go so much that your family never sees you. I was talking to somebody just this past week. Sometimes giving up your life for Jesus means giving it to your children giving it to your neighbor, giving it to your spouse, giving it to the relative that you haven't called in a long time because things are just really awkward. Maybe it's a conversation with a person seated a few seats away from you right now. Maybe it's giving it away to a group of kids in Sunday school an hour a week. Not because they need help, not because we're desperate for volunteers, but because you want to give your life away. You say, I've, I've done my time, Trent. I know, but maybe Jesus is asking you for a little more time. Maybe you say, I've never taught anything in my life, Trent. Maybe God is asking you to give up your life today. Maybe it's something outside the walls of these church. One of our partners here in town, Possibilities, HRN, Lewis County Gospel Mission. So many chances to give away your life and to represent the cause of Christ wherever we go. How do we do this? It's a good question. It's tough. It's not easy. Uh, how do you commit to giving up your life? How do you know what the right step is or the right way to go? Jesus gave us three tips. Say no to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus. I think it takes diving deep into your interior life, deep into the heart of God that, that is growing in you and that you have fostered through your whole walk with Christ, that it, it begins to beat with the heartbeat of Jesus. It means searching for the heart of God every day. You do that deep interior work first, and then you remain present each day with eyes wide open. I'll tell you, I can get in, I can get in robot mode in my days, right? I wake up at six, hit the snooze, hit the snooze. Oh, no, we got to get the sandwiches made. Uh, get the kids off to school, come to work, go home from work. It's like it can be routine. I confess that sometimes as your pastor, I haven't been present. And for some of you, I owe probably an apology because you've seen me in robot mode. I've walked these halls 19 years and maybe passed you once or twice. Forgive me, because this is me. This can be me sometimes. Blackaby, a writer, used to say this, watch to see where God is working and join. Live every day watching where God is working, and when you find it, join. Brother Lawrence, a 17th century friar dishwasher, that was his job. He liked to wash dishes. His counsel was to practice the presence of God. In washing dishes, Brother Lawrence would commune with God. His worship was dishwashing. All the moms and dads said, I need one of those in my house. 
how do you pull this command off to give up your life in your everyday? That's our job. Church, that's our job. That's what we get to do. That's our instruction, and that is our privilege to give up our lives daily. And that's what I charge you to do. You have to find that out. You have to work that out. I can't tell you. I can't point in this direction or that direction. But we have to work to that end. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up here as I close, just so we're in place. I have tried for these 19 years, probably with horrible inconsistency at times, to give up my life for Jesus. I have worshipped alongside of you, tried to care for you. I've lived in this community and tried to serve people on the ball field and in the boardroom. I've met with people over Cokes and even in coffee shops. And talked about great joys and deep, dark valleys. I have stood behind, beside many of you serving this church. We've served in this town. We've served in this uh, community. We've served in the Northwest. We've served internationally with some of you. I'm so lucky for all that you have entrusted me with over these years. I, <laughs> I was a punk, green-eared, naive kid from NNU. When you first met me, some of you remember that day, uh, and we just started walking with God. That's all we did. We just started walking with God. But hear me, hear me, church. God's not done. God's not done. There's so much to do. There's so much light to share. There's so much hope to offer. There's so much good to show. And I pray, this is my prayer. I pray that in my absence, as God has called me to a new place of ministry, in my absence, a new sense of effectiveness would be found in giving up your life. That an army of people committed to giving up their lives and, and ready to be present in the moment to what God has for them and is calling them to do will transform this community and literally change the world for people that need to know Jesus. If you're stuck today, if you're stuck holding on, I think we need Jesus' help at times to let go. That can be such a stressful place. It's if, if you find yourself grasping on to areas of your life today, Jesus is our healer. He's the one that helps us let go because we have to let go in order to give up our lives.